Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series, You're Not the Boss of Me. I want to kick off this series by finding a little bit about us for a second. I think that when it comes to our personalities, everybody normally fits into one of two different categories, and I want to find out which one you are in. Uh, I want to know if you're a rule keeper or if you're a rule breaker. If you're a rule keeper and you don't like to rock the boat and you appreciate authority and direction and boundaries, if you're a rule keeper, let me know in the chat of whatever stream you're watching right now just by writing rule keeper. Uh, If you're a rule breaker, obviously do the opposite. Uh, If you're someone who uh, doesn't like to be told what to do uh, or immediately questions and tests it or, uh, or something like that, just put rule breaker in the chat right now. I am a rule breaker. Uh, If you know me uh, and you give me a rule, I will question the rule before I consider obeying the rule. Uh, On the flip side of that, though, my dad is actually the opposite. He would say he's probably a natural rule keeper. Uh, Even if he knows that he doesn't really like the rule, there's something within him, and maybe it's true for you as well, it gives them a sense of uh, um, security about obeying the rule anyway. Now, this aspect of mine and my dad's personalities is actually summed up whenever we go around a national trust estate together. Uh, We both find them fairly beautiful. Uh, Because whilst me and my dad find these places fairly interesting, I kind of see it as my personal goal to touch as many things that look like you probably shouldn't touch them as possible. And I know it's not right. I know it's a bit silly, but I can't really help it. Uh, In fact, this is what I do when nobody's looking. Um, You see, it's kind of immature, a little bit silly. I like trying to pick the nose of the statues and you kind of get the point. Uh, now, it's silly, I know, but if I'm honest, I'm actually, I'd actually only consider myself really an amateur rule breaker. Uh, my uncle does this to a whole new level because he actually brings props along. Uh, check out, this is what my uncle does uh, when he finds himself in these kinds of places. Uh, yeah, you kind of get the point. Uh, Listen, I don't know if you're a rule breaker or a rule keeper. Uh, What I do know is that there is something that's kind of related to our attitude of rules uh, that you do value. In fact, we kind of discover this as children. We all value autonomy. Uh, Whether you are a natural rule breaker or a rule keeper, one thing we all share in common is that we don't like to be given rules by people or things that aren't in uh, or shouldn't be in the position to tell us what to do. In fact, I think that this has been revealed to us perhaps more uh, than ever in recent history over the past year in living through a world dominated by the uh, effects of COVID-19. A debate that seems to have constantly resurfaced for the past year is when is it right for my autonomy to be sacrificed? Uh, Now, I don't say that to start a debate, uh, but it reveals something to be true. Uh, When lockdowns happen and you are told that you can or can't do certain things, uh, whether or not you thought it was the right thing, nobody sat down and just thought, yes, I'm so glad that I'm not allowed to do stuff. Uh, No, when it comes to our lives, we all value autonomy. Uh, We all want to be able to do what I want to be able to do when I want to be able to do it with enough money to pay for it and keep me out of trouble when I get caught. It's an alluring goal. 
Because we're all convinced of something. We're all convinced that if we were truly autonomous, if we were truly able to call all our own shots, we are convinced that once I can call my own shots, I'll call the right shots. And that's despite the fact that we all might know a story or story after story of people who do have their own autonomy, who have kind of like made it in the world where they've got everything they kind of want in the right place, where they don't call the right shot. And they undermine themselves due to a stupid decision. And when they call the wrong shot and they fall down, uh, when that happens, you might just think, why did they do that? I would never have done that. And there's that ickiness in you that might kind of feel a little bit smug. But for you, you think, if I were them, I would have never have done what they did. I'd have never sacrificed my autonomy. And whilst that might be true, the fact is that within all of us, there are things or perhaps something in particular uh, that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks that fights for your uh, control and your autonomy more than you probably give it credit for. And we're going to get into that. But before we even delve into the problem, I'm actually going to give you the answer to kick off the series. You see, the problems that we often find ourselves in. Uh, the problems that we're most at risk of falling into, or the trouble that crouches waiting to pounce at the front of our doors does not normally come because we just don't take advice. The trouble that we get in, the pits that we find ourselves in that strip us of our autonomy, comes because we take our own advice. And here's the problem, that there's really no way to get around. The advice that we give ourselves is always filtered through our emotions that distort our reality. Uh, let me give you a metaphor. Uh, a few years ago now, uh, something happened to me that I never thought would really happen to me. Uh, something that, if I'm honest, I'm a little bit embarrassed about, and, and uh, I actually used to judge other people for uh, pretty badly. Uh, but really, step by step, decision after decision, I found myself, which I really know that many of you might shake your heads at, I found myself becoming a coffee snob. It started pretty innocently and it's just started by like not uh, drinking instant coffee and then it started by like dabbling with different coffee brewing methods and then I started reading about different roasting methods and, and what the perfect coffee to ratio, uh, water ratio was uh, and how the hot the water had to be and, and how much you should agitate the beans once they're in the water and before I knew it I became one of those really annoying people who only really enjoys certain coffees. Uh, but one thing that you find if you ever make the same mistake as I did is that one of the things that, that really makes the biggest difference between a good cup of coffee and a bad cup of coffee is the attention to the filtering process. You see, there are some people and they kindly offered to make a cup of coffee and they threw two years, uh, two year old damp coffee powder in a broken cafetiere uh, and then they pour the boiling water over the top and they leave it for like 10 seconds before they plunge down the top with ridiculous force that causes half the coffee to escape around the edges, leaving you with a weak, bitter, scolding, bitty cup of coffee or something at least resembling coffee. Uh, but on the other side, you get some people who get the high quality filter paper rinsed beforehand and then they slowly, pour, evenly pour over the water that sits at 96 degrees over freshly ground coffee beans. Uh, the difference is the attention to the filtering process. And if I lost you in that metaphor, you can kind of come back in the hell because for many of us, the decisions that we make, it's like they're being filtered through emotions that are broken and not attended to or focused on. 
which are heated out of control, that leave the situation feeling bitter. And it's like we're this cup of coffee full of regret. Why? Well, it's because the advice that we give ourselves is always filtered through our emotions that distort our reality. And so in this series, it's really designed uh, really with this in mind. Uh, this is a how-to series uh, where we're going to be looking at how to say no to the emotions that compete for our control. And we all know that this is true because the fact is that we all act like this all the time. We all know that we need to monitor our behavior and emotions when it really matters. You know this if you've ever had a job interview or if you go on a date or if you want to meet someone uh, who you really respect, we all know uh, that sometimes we need to say no to the emotions that compete for our control. And so we monitor our behavior as a result. Uh, and you also know this because you know that the emotion, uh, you know the emotion that competes most for your control. You know the one, the one that gets in your way that others might know you for. That others walk on eggshells around you because of the one that makes you feel awkward when you really think about it. When you look at the life of Jesus, he takes monitoring a whole step further. He gave advice that can profoundly help us identify the bad advice that comes from within. Uh, now, if you're here today and you're new to church and you're watching online maybe for the first time and you're exploring faith, uh, you are so welcome and you are going to hear uh, some advice and you need to hear this because it's exceptionally good advice. Uh, and what Jesus says here might just intrigue you uh, to look at some of the other things that he said. And I hope that you might consider following him as a result. But if you're a Jesus follower, or if you're a Christian, then uh, this is going to be even bigger for you, because what we're going to look at is actually something that Jesus commands of you, uh, but also actually, I believe, holds a supernatural weight to it uh, that we're going to find out together today. We find it in one of the gospel accounts written by a guy called Matthew, uh, who writes about his own personal experience with Jesus, uh, which a few hundred years afterwards, uh, people kind of chopped up and put numbers and chapters and verses next to so that we can kind of navigate it a little bit easier today. And so with that in mind, I just want to jump in to chapter 15, uh, but we need to remember that we're halfway through Jesus's ministry says this, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, what this really alludes to is that they'd come up to trap Jesus with a dilemma that might expose him for being someone a bit deceptive. Uh, and they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. Now, this was a big deal, uh, partly because water was scarce. It wasn't just like for me and you who can just run a bath without much thought. Uh, it was actually a bigger deal uh, because of something referred here as the age old tradition. Now, this wasn't just a tradition like always putting out mince pies for Santa Claus at Christmas. Uh, this was age old tradition was really referring to something that many people may have called the oral Torah. Uh, now, the Torah referred to a written law uh, that thousands of years before this moment, Moses had been given by God on top of Mount Sinai. You can read it in a book called Exodus, uh, which was used to govern and guide the people from, of Israel uh, from the moment of where Moses got it all the way up to Jesus in this moment with the Pharisees. But there was a tradition, however, uh, that as well as the written down Torah, there was also the spoken Torah, the oral Torah, uh, which was also given to Moses, which was 
was this other kind of mysterious set of rules that sat next to the written Torah. In fact, it was actually going to act as this commentary in some circles to the written law. Uh, but it was forbidden to write down, and so only for a long, long time, this oral tradition would have been passed down and interpreted by one person to another person to another person, held by a small select group of men. And so you have the written Torah, and you have the spoken oral Torah that only a few people really knew. And when these people thought it was necessary, they came and shared the oral tradition, uh, and sometimes it seemed to actually help, but a lot of the other times it actually seemed to come into conflict with the written law. Now here, and here's the cool part, whenever Jesus was on earth, in every instance that we see of him in the Gospels, whenever there's a tension between the written Torah and the exclusive oral Torah, uh, Jesus always, always, always sided with the written Torah. Uh, Jesus, in other words, wasn't buying this. And so as part of this exclusive, held by a few, oral Torah, one of the rules that, that was put on people so that they wouldn't accidentally break the written dietary law was that they had to partake in this ceremonial hand washing. Uh, now, there are loads of problems with this spoken Torah, not least of how it was used to abuse and control people, but also because it made God look so small and petty. And so Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Basically, well, how come is it that you don't obey the written law? How come is it that you, uh, you use this spoken law that nobody really knows to get around the clear law that teaches you to do things like look after your elderly relatives that you don't do? He says, you hypocrites. And then he uses this ancient biblical text that both of them would have known uh, to f uh, that we find back in the Old Testament by a guy called Isaiah. He says this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're playing a game. And you know people who play this game, people who make the rules for the game, and then in the last second they change the boundaries and you always somehow lose. And so Jesus, now he's got them all riled up and they're about to argue with him. He's about to drop this bombshell and then just walk away. And everyone would have known that Jesus would have won the argument because the Pharisees were kind of just left speechless. But he just walks away. This is what Jesus says. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. He said, listen, he said, and try and understand. It's not what goes into your mouth by accident that defiles you. In other words, God's not petty. He's not waiting for you to slip up. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And then Jesus just walks off. And everyone knows Jesus won, but the disciples are still trying to work out how Jesus won. They say uh, the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize, which is a really silly thing to say to Jesus, Jesus, do you realize, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? And Jesus gives just some great advice. He just says, ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into this ditch. I mean, that was like kind of a common phrase of the time. Uh, but then Jesus gives some reassurance uh, because what it sounded like was Jesus was just dismissing the whole law. And Jesus wasn't. He was just dismissing the spoken law. And so Jesus explains what's going on. And here with his followers around him, uh, with his followers who really wanted to be close, who weren't just wanting to be right, but who really started to want to do the right thing. 
And Jesus shares with them something that really cuts to the heart of what was going on and reveals the heart of God to his followers, who perhaps for so long, perhaps like you, were led to believe that they had to do a whole bunch of things to keep some petty God happy. Jesus tells them something clear. In fact, Jesus it gets real clear with what I think is a bit of tongue in cheek. He says, don't you understand? Jesus asked. Anything that you eat and passes through your stomach, then goes into the sewer. And maybe his followers like you are like, Jesus, I think we understand. I mean, we understand. In fact, we understand this a couple of times a day, we understand. Uh, but the words that you speak, Jesus says, comes from the heart. And that's what defiles you. You want to know what puts you at odds with God? They're not silly accidental rules that God never put on you anyway. It's the things that come out of your mouth, not because God is sensitive or scared. And this is really central to what Jesus taught. Though It's when you do things that harm and neglect those around you. That's a big deal because those are the people that God loves. And then Jesus says this, but the words that speak, that you speak, come out of your heart. That's what defiles you. Now, this is really going to be a central thing to remember for the next few weeks as we carry on with this series. The things that come from you are inside of you. Uh, the things that come from you are inside of you. The things that you say come from inside of you. And you might think and push back against that a little bit and just say, well, sometimes I say things that I don't mean. I'd actually push back against you for a second and just say, actually, I think sometimes we say things we don't mean to say out loud. You see, the reality is that they were always there. And I just want to be real for a second. We often mean them, don't we? I mean, often it's just the case that they go through our filter wrong. And Jesus just hones in on this. He says this, For from the heart uh, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And I mean, isn't that true? That all of the problems that we find ourselves in or risk finding ourselves in starts with a thought? I mean, this is so true. I mean, this is the reason that we actually love stories so much. Because when we read stories, there's something deep within us that instantly knows uh, who the hero is and who the villain is. And what we do when we read the story or watch a movie is that there's a small part of us, isn't there, that puts ourselves in the shoes of the hero. And we think what it would be like and what we would do. And we kind of act out these stories in our heads as us, as the hero, and what it would be like. It's like our thoughts are the closest thing to doing something without actually doing something. But what's scary and what actually frightens me and what should really frighten you is how easy it is for our thoughts to change from being in the shoes of the hero to actually being in the shoes of the villain. I mean, how easy is it for us to allow ourselves just to think, what would it be like? Or how fun would it be if we just, or how satisfying or how releasing... And before we know it, our emotional filter becomes something that breeds something toxic, which defiles you. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to be getting really specific. But for now, I just want to leave us teed up a little bit. 
Because for each of us, there will be things within us that cause us to live bitterly and hurtfully, that steals your control and autonomy, that leaves you going out of control, that comes from your heart. And as we continue through this series, we're going to find out how to regain control of some of those things and how we can look at the things that come from our hearts that originate in our minds, uh, that steal our control, uh, and just to say, you are not the boss of me. And so let me ask you, though, as we wrap up this week, because as we go from forward from here, I want us just to have a moment to name what that one emotion is. What is the emotion? What is the thought that bids for your control? In a minute, we're going to hear a song. And as it plays, I want you to name the one thing. What is the one thing that you know battles for your control that leaves you sitting down just thinking, how could I have done that? I mean, it's like it wasn't even me, but in reality, you know it was you. It just came through a distorted emotional filter. What is your one thing that gets the boss of you? Is it anger? Is it guilt? Is it lust? What is it? What's the one thing that you know that's just me? I'm going to pray for us now and then listen to this song and then just name your one thing because when we start to name it, we can start to do something about it. Really want to invite you to join us over the next few weeks as we delve into this further and start to look really practically at how we can be people who don't uh, become in control of our own emotions, but who control our emotions, where we regain control of what we really should have been boss of all along. Hey, let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, for many of us right now, we've lost control. We've lost our autonomy, not by things out there, not because of someone else or a decision that someone else has made, but because of a decision that we've made that we perhaps didn't even want to make. Because of emotions within us that we allow to filter our decisions, filter our thoughts in a way that's become toxic. And Father, you know us. You know who we are, what we're about. Uh, and Father, you know that the things that, that actually you have a problem with, with us, where, where actually it creates a boundary and a barrier between us and you, aren't just the silly accidental things that you didn't make laws about anyway. They're the things that we do that hurt other people, that hurt other people that you love, that you made. And so, Father, I want to thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that the whole point of Jesus's life and death and resurrection was to create a way in which we could know you again, that we could be close to you, that you could know our thoughts and you could know our needs before we even say them. And so that we can experience your love. But Father, we don't want to remain in a place that hurts other people and hurts ourselves. So, Father, I want to ask that you might reveal what it is within us that has gained control of us in a way that we know isn't right and isn't healthy. And we feel, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon us right now in the rooms of whoever is watching this right now and to begin a process of change. And Lord, for some of us, this is going to be painful. And for some of us, this is going to be a time-consuming process. 
But Father, I want to ask that you would be with us and you would remind us that you want us to draw close to you. You remind us that there is a uh, a version of us that you made in the beginning, that you created, that you love, that you put your identity uh, and image into that actually doesn't hold the bitterness and hurtfulness that so often we pull into the world. Be with us now, Lord, I pray. Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.